turn with me in your Bibles. Romans chapter 9. As we continue our to preach through this great, wonderful book, we saw last week, we looked at uh, kind of an overview of the chapters 9, 10, and 11, and how Paul is, was showing what God is doing, that God is at work in history, that there's nothing that um, happens by accident, that God is sovereign, God ordains all that is, God is the creator, and therefore God can do what God wants to do. And this morning, as we look at the first five verses of chapter 9, you know, it's difficult for any of us to receive hard truth. Um, no, even if that hard truth is necessary, we, we struggle with that. And there's always a much better chance of hearing hard truth when it's said in love. And... We recall at the end of chapter 8 that Paul, he was, he was riding on an emotional high as he declared that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And some would ask Paul, Paul anticipates their question and asks, okay, so does that mean that God has cast away his people Israel? And as we're going to see later on, Paul is going to say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, but Paul ends chapter 8 on a very high.
Paul was willing to be accursed from Christ. You know what that means? He was ready. To, he was willing to be anathema. That means to be damned. Paul says, I am willing to do this for the sake of the Jewish people. Now, Paul knows that he could never actually be separated. But he is saying that if it were possible, if he could wish himself accursed from Christ, if it meant the salvation of his people. And you know, Paul, he knew his Old Testament. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter 32. Because there was one time someone else who did exactly what Paul is doing. His name was Moses. In Exodus 32. <clears throat> I'm going to turn to the wrong chapter. In Exodus 32. Look at verses 7 through 12. But let, let, let's set this up. God has brought Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt, Egyptian bondage. He crossed the Red Sea. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them manna from heaven. And the people are, count, are, are encamped at the foot of the mountain while Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God. And a day goes by, and another day goes by, and another day goes, the, the day turned into a week. And Moses, nowhere to be seen. Now, you know what was going on up there? God was taking his finger and writing out the law. You shall have no other gods before me. And all the others. Meanwhile, down at the bottom of the mountain, the people were getting restless. And they go to Aaron, who's the high priest, and says, make us a god to worship. Now, Aaron, as the high priest, said, no, 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 no. Now, God, Moses will be, that ain't what he said. He said, bring me all your gold. And he fashioned for them a calf. By the way, do you know what they called that calf? Yahweh. What was the very first commandment God wrote? What was the very first commandment they broke? <laughs> While he was writing, they were breaking. Moses comes down, but, but notice here in, in uh, chapter 32, look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now, don't miss the point here where God said to Moses, go down for your people. Okay, remember that God said that. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? You see, God said, Moses, they're your people. And Moses said, no, God, they're your people. Neither one wanted to assume responsibility for them. O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring at the stars, as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord resented, relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. So Moses here, God says, well, in, in, in the midst of this, God stops what they're doing here. And he says, Moses, go back down the mountain. The people are already transgressing about what I've just wrote to you. So go down there, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to destroy all of them and just start all over with you. And Moses said, no, Lord. He said, no, don't do. Look at verse 31. Now, well, again, let me, let me back up here. Moses does go back down. You know, you've all seen the movie. Throws them down. <laughs> but you know what he did next? He made them melt down that golden calf. And then he made them drink it. And then he, he called, he said, all who are on the Lord's side, raise your hand. And the Levites raised their hand. You know what they did next? Moses said, now go through and everyone who transgressed against the Lord. And that day they killed 3,000 people. And Moses admonishes Aaron. But you see, Moses, this is an interesting thing about Moses. The Bible calls him a meek man. Now, he was angry when he threw the tablets down. And he looks at Aaron, but he remembers Aaron was appointed, not by Moses, but by God. And he basically says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But he basically said, that's all I can do as far as you're concerned. So Moses goes back up the mountain. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to convince God not to destroy these people? And he says, you know, and he's already said to him once, he says, you know, if you do this, the Egyptians are going to talk about how you brought the people out here just to kill them. He said, God, remember your covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember what you promised. So God, Moses gets back on the mountain. And then verse 31 and 32. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, okay, echoes of the apostle Paul. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So Paul, when he speaks about his, his anguish, you see Moses, he, he was angry at the people for what they had done. But Moses had a love for his people and he was in great anguish and he didn't want God to destroy his people. And, and Paul is the same way in talking to these, uh, these Jewish people in Rome. And he's saying, look, my heart is broken with tears and anguish in my heart, please. He said, if I could, I would blot my own name out of the book if it meant your salvation. But neither Paul nor Moses 
could atone for the people's sin. There was only one who could do this. There is only one who is an adequate substitute for sinners, and that is the Son of God himself. And that's why Paul says there in verse 5, but then in chapter 9, the we Christ see a different move who from is Paul. God overall um, blessed forever. He's suddenly Amen. thinking of the... You know, this is one of the, one of the places that people have an issue Members of his own Christ. race, the Jewish people. You know, and he is if grieving you look at all the cults because the for the most part, they have, they have a lot of things is that the are Christ who in is their beliefs. God. But do you know they all have one main Amen. thing above all else that they, is, is usually their you know, this number is one, of the, one of the places that people belief. have an issue with Christ. That Jesus Christ. You know. Is not if you look God. at all the cults in the world, that's the first thing they do away with. They have a but lot do you know of what things happens that if are Jesus similar is not God in their beliefs. But do you know they and all he's not have a one main thing and we're all going all to hell. else that they is, but is he, usually so their Paul number says, one uh, according to the flesh, who is beliefs. the Christ, who is God over Jesus Christ. These Jewish believers refuse to God. believe this, so there is only one that's the first thing they do with winners. And that you know what happens if Jesus is not God himself. Who came and then gave he's his not life a savior. For us. And, and Paul says, Let this mind be in but he, and so the spirit Paul says, that was in Paul, uh, according to the flesh, who is the Christ, who is you see, Paul God overall. And anguish. These Jewish believers refuse over to believe this. So there is Jewish only people. one adequate substitute for sinners. I, I think of and Jesus that is the Son as of he's God standing there and he's looking down over came, Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And Paul says, let How this mind I would have gathered you. you together. The spirit that was in Paul and in Moses can be in us. Wings. You see, Paul and he had wept anguish over Jerusalem, over these lost Because Jewish his people. heart was heartbroken. His heart I, was I, broken I think of Jesus because as he's they standing had, there he had and come and offered down them over everything they had bought oh, and everything Jerusalem, they had Jerusalem. needed and they rejected him. How I would have gathered you together as a chick. And how many do we know? under my wing. That live in our homes, that live next door to us, that work with us, that go. Because his heart was heartbroken. His heart was broken because they had, he had come and offered them everything they had wanted, everything they had needed, and they rejected him. And how many do we know that live in our homes, that live next door to us, that work with us, that go to church with us, who are in the same shape? Listen, folks, do you have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in your heart for your lost loved ones? For lost people. But here's the thing. <clears throat> when we love as he loved, when we love as Christ loved, Christ had one ambition. That was to see people saved. Paul had one ambition, to see people saved. Everything Jesus did was to one point, our salvation. And those apostles, as they went out into the world, they had one mission. Proclaim the message of the gospel. But there was a purpose in proclaiming the message of the gospel. And the purpose of proclaiming the message of the gospel is so that some might believe and be saved. And you and I, as we sit here this morning, 
Do you anguish over others? Do you have a sorrow in your heart for those who are outside of Christ? And if not, why not? You know, Charles Spurgeon one time said, he said, if you have no desire to see other people saved, he said, I would doubt very seriously you're saved yourself. But do we have a desire to see others saved? And and I can't tell you how many times I have said to someone, you know, keep praying for so-and-so, keep speaking with so-and-so. You never know what the Lord, no, you don't know this person. Evidently, there are certain people out there that are worse than Paul was. And he was the chief of sinners. Because evidently, there are people out there that God just cannot save. I've heard people say that. You know what that tells us? Do you this morning believe in the power of the gospel to transform people's lives? And we say, well, I, I go out there and I, and, I, and I share the gospel. I proclaim the message of the gospel. I witness the people. And nobody hears me. Nobody cares. That's irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Noah preached for 120 years. Had eight converts and they were his own family. And I want to tell you something, folks. When God put Noah into the ark and said, come in here, and God shut the door, and the floodwaters began to come, and the boat began to rise, we don't see Noah up there pointing to the people and saying, now remember, God loves you. He doesn't say that. For 120 years, Noah said, repent, because it's going to rain. (laughs) You kind of got to understand the irony here. They had no idea what rain was. They'd never heard of it. They'd never seen a boat. When Noah began to build this humongous boat, Noah, what is that? And he said, it's a boat. And he said, well, what's it, what is it? What's it for? And he told them, for 120 years, Noah said, the wrath of God is coming to judgment. The judgment waters of God's wrath is on its way. And they laughed at him. Now, I can assure you, there were probably many who were beaten on that door. Screaming at Noah to open the door when it was too late. But the point I'm making is this. For 120 years, Noah preached the gospel. Noah wasn't concerned with who listened. God was con- uh, Noah was concerned with being obedient to God. And Jesus told us in Matthew 28, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. So... Do you have an anguish in your heart this morning over those who are lost and dying without Christ? Are you willing to make the necessary? Paul was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, giving up his salvation. Now, as I said, we we all know Paul knew that was impossible, but he got his point across. And, And not only, well, I'll get to that here in a minute. No, I'll go ahead and go to it now. Paul was willing to do this, not for his loved ones, but for his enemies. For his enemies. You may tell you the greatest example of that. One day there was a man hanging on a cross. A man who was both man and God. He didn't die for his friends. Because he didn't have any. He died for his enemies. 
Because outside of Christ, we're all enemies of Christ. And Paul said, look, you who hate me, you who want to kill me, I love you. I love you to the point that I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to see you come to Christ. Do we anguish over those outside of Christ? Do we have anguish over those who are our enemies? Do we have anguish over those who are closest to you? You see, Paul, uh, Paul, God called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul loved the Gentiles, but he loved his own people more. He had a special love for them because they were his own. Paul, his sorrow is personal. His anguish is personal. And he said, I'm going to preach the gospel to everyone. I'm going to preach it. And you know, everywhere that Paul went, when you read through the book of Acts, everywhere Paul went, when he got into a town, he went to two places. But he always went to one place first, the temple. He went to the temple and he would preach. And usually they ran him out of there. And he went and preached to the Gentiles. But do we have anguish over those who are closest to us? Are we willing to make the necessary sacrifices as Paul was and say, look, uh, I, I love you with, a, with a, a holy kind of love. Paul, his sorrow was for those who hated him and wanted him dead. His sorrow was for those who were closest to him. Uh, his sorrow was because he believed the gospel. Paul had sorrow over those who were great sinners. Who were great sinners. I guess throughout history, we always look at certain people, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> My mind went blank on a guy's name I'm trying to think of. Osama bin Laden. And we think, oh, they must be a special place in hell for them. Can I tell you something? There's not. There's just a place in hell for them. Right next to... That good, moral person that never knew Christ. We sometimes forget that that good, moral person or that person outside of Christ, whatever their lifestyle is, was one time me. It was one time you. And you know what? The power of the gospel transformed my life. And you know what? So it can theirs too. So don't ever think someone was outside the range of God's love and the range of God's salvation. We usually don't consider ourselves great sinners. And therefore, you know, we have a hard time thinking certain people can be saved. Do you anguish over those who have great privileges? Paul talks there in verse 5. He says, look... Or verse 4, he says, these are Israelites. They have the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs. From them came the Christ. And these are people of, of great privilege. 
The Jews of Paul's day possessed great privileges, he says. But he says those privileges mean nothing to them outside of Christ. As a matter of fact, do you know all these privileges they were given were intended to point them to Christ? And today we see people who, who have great privileges in our, in our world and we think, uh, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions I have found about Christianity is this. If you're successful and you're rich, you must have favor with God. And that's a lie. I don't care what Joel tells you. I'm serious. We need a heart like the great apostle Paul. Does the sin of others grieve you? And when I say grieve you, I don't mean do you get angry at their sin. I mean, do you sorrow over their sin? Because you know that the wages of sin is death. Do we truly understand we need to let the wrath of God that hangs over their heads always constantly be on our minds. You know, I thought about, now, of course, this all worked out, you know, pretty well. But, but, but at the time, a couple of weeks ago, Monday night football, football player, you know, I was watching and I saw when he went down, it was just strange. And as he lay there, and, you know, as far as I can tell, he, you know, he quit breathing, and they had, so he basically was about to die. 24 years old. And I wondered about the millions of people watching that, if it dawned on them, how an instant, no matter how old you are, it can be gone. What does James tell us? Your life is but a breath of wind. It's here and it's gone. You know, we live to be... 80, 90 years old and think we're old. Well, compared to what? I mean, do you realize that 100 million billion years from now, I'll still be alive? Now, fortunately, we won't be counting years. <laughs> but listen, today, the wrath of God hangs over the head of every Man, woman, boy, and girl across this planet outside of Christ. And in an instant, God could say, today's the day. The writer to the Hebrews says, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, you get another chance. Now what it says? After this, <laughs> the judgment. Y'all just made me proud. But he says it is appointed unto men once to die. You have an appointment. I have an appointment. I want to tell you something. Every lost person out there has an appointment. And we need to proclaim the message of the gospel. And again, please understand me. We are not responsible for what they do with it. All I'm responsible for, all you're responsible for is to proclaim it. But we don't do that. We don't do that. You know why we don't do that? I'm going to tell you why we don't do that. We don't do that because we don't believe in the power of the gospel. Even though we may have experienced it ourselves. 
And you say, well, preacher, how can you say I don't believe that? Because if you did, you'd be telling them. If you did, you wouldn't be saying, oh, you don't know so-and-so. You know, I remember a young man, 23 years old, an alcoholic. Had a grandmother praying for him. And had an aunt that said, you know, he's going down the same road his daddy did, and you're not going to stop it, so you might as well stop praying for it. And I am so grateful my grandmother did not stop praying. There's none that God cannot reach, but we are called. And Paul says, look, I have great anguish in my heart. I, I think one of the things that we don't do anymore, we don't weep over those who are lost. Like Jesus standing there looking over Jerusalem, knowing that destruction was coming because they rejected him. Paul standing here and saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right here in the middle of this letter. I just told you all these wonderful blessings that are yours in Christ. But there are some over here that don't believe. And I'm heartbroken over it. I think we need to pray and ask God to break our heart over people that are lost. We need to ask God to burden us for people that are lost. And that we would understand that we are called to proclaim the message of life. Because think about this right here. This world lives in a fantasy. You realize that, right? I mean, in every sphere of life. I mean, you watch any commercial. Your life will not be complete if you don't buy this product. Seriously. And not only, did, not only will your life not be complete without that product, they designed that product just specifically because they love you. Now, is that a lie or what? But that's what they tell you. We live in a fantasy world. And I want to tell you something, folks. They are headed down the, 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 the broad road to destruction. And you and I are up a sign saying the narrow way is over here. We're waving, we're waving flags and waving them along. We're headed down this narrow path. They're going the opposite direction and we're just... And I want to tell you something. When we have a heart that is broken for the lost, when we come to a point to where we are saying, you know what, I don't care about anything else. Paul didn't. Paul was willing to give up his salvation. I don't think we can understand the full force of what Paul's saying right there. And yet we, we fail to give up a few minutes. Or whatever. Just to say to someone, not, listen, don't, don't go up and say, hey, God loves you. And you know, there's a loving way, there's a loving way to say, if you don't believe, you're going to hell. That is love. We must learn to emulate Paul in this, in this matter. He had great anguish 
we need to be heartbroken. We need great anguish in our soul. We need to stop. You know, you know, one of the things that I have found, and I, and I truly believe this, you know one of the reasons that we don't share the gospel with people? Now, we say we love them, and that's good. But we love ourselves more. Well, if I do, you know, they might get mad at me. They might walk out of my life. They might not ever talk to me again. So I'm just going to not really say anything. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm a firm believer that once you tell somebody the gospel, you don't have to do it over and over and over and over. The gospel is not like if you tell it enough, they'll believe. It is God who calls those who believe. But he did tell us to go tell them. And it's an interesting thing. Do you know what God's primary way of reaching people? People. I mean, God could, he could have an angel right across the sky and write the gospel out in, in the heavens and the whole world could see it. But I want to tell you something, they still wouldn't believe. <laughs> but he didn't. He said, you go. You go. Judea, Samaria, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the plan that he lays out there, he says, go to your own neighborhood, go to your town, go to your state, go to your country. And until you and I are ready to be obedient to God and proclaim the message of the gospel. And we got to stop doing it, thinking, OK, let's go out so we can fill this church up with people, because I'm going to tell you something that's not going to happen. Eight people in 120 years. I'm kind of glad that's in there. Because we have the idea. I, I've heard preachers say, look, if you're not out there getting people saved, you're not being obedient to God. I can't get anybody saved. Only God can. And who that is, is up to him. As a matter of fact, Paul's about to talk about that very thing. <laughs> and, and, and I'm kind of restraining myself and making sure that I don't jump ahead here. Okay? But he's about to talk about that great doctrine of election. But his point is, go preach the gospel. All of us. Let's pray. Father.